If you enjoy this podcast, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and visit our website at lifebetweenthevines.com. You know, we're not making sprockets at, you know, Stanley Sprockets at the Jetsons. Like, it's, this is a cool job, but it's also, um, it's terrifying. And the, the weight and the responsibility of what we do is, I'm absolutely terrified and I lose sleep. I haven't slept well in years um, because to do this on the scale that we do across all the different um, labels and, 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 and vintages, um, it doesn't take much to screw it up. Discovering and tasting wine shouldn't be a homework assignment. And we believe that the people who are closest to wine have the best stories. So open a bottle. And welcome to podcast number 529. This week we feature Sarah Vandenreich, winemaker at Elizabeth Spencer Winery, Napa Valley. reflects the joy in her love of winemaking. Sarah Vandendriesch has been winemaker at Elizabeth Spencer in Napa Valley for over a dozen years. Working with fruit from all over wine country has been a thrill for Sarah, as much as for those of us who love the wine. Elizabeth Spencer is now owned by Jean-Charles Boisset, which means in terms of vineyard sourcing, this is only the beginning. You can also hear Sarah on our Vino Lingo segment defining the phrase, let it hang. I'm here at Elizabeth Spencer Winery in Rutherford, and uh, it's a thrill to be here with Sarah Vandenreich. Sarah's the winemaker here at Elizabeth Spencer. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It's good to see you. It's good to meet you. As I mentioned previously, I'd met your husband, Christopher, years ago at White Rock Winery. <laughs> Holy cow, that's a hard one. That's worse than the name. <laughs> Obviously, we edit, so don't be too concerned. Okay. <laughs> And he was a great guy, and he was a lot of fun. So the pressure's on. I'm expecting an incredibly good interview with you. Well, you, you got the better half first. So. Oh, there we go. I see. Well, I think you'll do fine. I'm going to talk a little bit about your history and your background in winemaking. But before we do that, I want to talk about the present day here at Elizabeth Spencer. I'm going to take a moment myself to say I'm a huge fan of these wines. I go back... Elizabeth was one of our very first interviews here with Life Between the Vines, and uh, we interviewed her in the old place next door. There's an incredible legacy here, so that's got to be something to walk into that. It is, yeah. I walked in at the, it was a cool December day, rainy, not unlike today, in December of 2010, and met Elizabeth and Spencer. They had been recommended to me through a mutual friend who said, you know, they're they're looking for someone to kind of shepherd the wines while they are searching for another winemaker. Would you be interested in considering that? And I said, sure, I'll go talk to them. And it was, um, it was really a, a great moment for me. I got to meet two really passionate people. They um, have a similar background to mine in that they came from the restaurant industry and then sort of fell into wine from there. So we had a shared passion for food and hospitality and then, of course, wine. And uh, within a couple of months, it became clear that, that uh, I was going to stick around for a while. And that, you know, was almost, I guess it's been 12 vintages 12 now. 12 years, 12 years. Yeah. yeah. That's very good. Congratulations. Thank you. Good for you. And you're still here, which is cool. I'm still here. It's very cool. And 
Now, I'm going to make one quick disclaimer today. We are right on Highway 29 for those folks who know Napa. Uh, we're going to have all kinds of traffic in the background. So uh, that's just what it is. We might even have the wine train go by if we're lucky. Mm, that's right. Yeah. It's even better to see at night with all the lights. Yeah. 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 Being it's this interview is being conducted in December of 2022. So uh, we're almost approaching Christmas. Elizabeth Spencer has been sold, and it was purchased by Jean-Charles Bosset, one of my favorite winemakers in Napa Valley, a totally fun and crazy guy to hang around with, <laughs> and we've interviewed him several times in the past. So the question is, is the name Elizabeth Spencer going to remain, or is there going to be a change? It is. Elizabeth Spencer Winery is here to stay. Um, Elizabeth and Spencer, of course, started this project and as a family-owned business, it's really been great to have another family-owned business come and uh, bring new energy, but also keep the legacy. The important work that they started is gonna be honored, and we'll keep the name. The name is gonna stay. The name is gonna stay. That's good to hear, because it's such a well-established name, because there is such a legacy behind it. For you, going into this with Jean-Charles, um, how is that feeling, sort of, you know, the different groove going from the two to Jean-Charles and his group? It's, it's a great feeling. I wasn't sure that I would stay on with the winery um, as these things evolve, um, off, often there are personnel changes, but he made it clear right away that he had every intention to um, take the brand as it was and just make it better. And that means putting more um, resources behind it. So for me, um, I was really honored to be asked to stay because I do feel commitment to the brand. And, um, you know, Elizabeth and Spencer and I have been on this adventure together. So it's really cool to come um, to the table with some experience with the brand, but also know that things will change. But I think they're going to change for the better. Um, I've known Jean-Charles for uh, a few years. I've seen him speak at a number of functions, and he is, um, he's incredibly intelligent. So, I mean, his passion is really evident to everyone, but I think it's often overlooked just how serious and smart and committed he is, and he's bringing a commitment to uh, this brand and to the location, and the changes have been extraordinary. I mean, it's, it's, it was a beautiful place, but he's really putting a lot of energy into making it a destination. And let's talk about that destination. I understand this area is going to change this particular area for people who know Napa Valley. We are right at uh, the intersection of 29 and Rutherford Road, uh, very well known for a place called the Rutherford Grill. What's neat about Elizabeth Spencer, starting in the little post office, the old post office here, such a cute little tasting room, and it has expanded. So the area is going to be renamed as a whole. Is that how that's going to work? Yeah, um, we are really in the heart of Napa Valley, and this is a unique property in that there are commercial opportunities here. And Elizabeth and Spencer had always had a dream of being able to develop this, but now we really have the resources with the Boisset collection to make it not just a destination for Elizabeth Spencer Winery, but also for JCB and some other projects that he's working on. Um, right now we're sitting in a, a, a culinary museum. Um, this is something that is really important to bring to the community, uh, Napa Valley as a whole. And it's also really cool to use this space for something that kind of marries the concept of food and wine together as they should be together. 
Yeah, I'm going to have some video of this, and, and for our uh, listeners, we will have some pictures on the website. It's it's incredible because there's just about every historic kitchen device you can imagine. I'm looking behind you. There's probably about 30 different toasters, some I've never dreamed of. Some <laughs> look like torture devices, but they're pretty cool. <laughs> they uh, do look like But that. Back, back to the space of all the tasting. I mean, many tasting rooms in Napa Valley are unique. Uh this one is probably as much of a one-of-a-kind as could possibly be. Again, because the original post office where Elizabeth Spencer started, and then it's been expanded to the garden, and then beyond that. So it's really a space to come discover because it's not just one thing. It's not just one tasting room. There's more to that. That's right. It's We've had this secret garden, and we're sort of hidden in plain sight. Um, everyone that comes to visit uh, they walk in what looks like a, a, a pretty small, cute tasting room, and then they go outside and they can see that it's actually quite a big property. I think I think we're on almost an acre here. Mm. So we also have um, you know incredible views of both the Mayacamas and the Bacas, and you really do get a sense that you are in the heart of Napa Valley. You can see the different um, topography, um, and when you when you walk around the property, you really get a sense of um, what Napa might have been like mm. in the late 1800s. And I think that that's really cool. And Jean-Charles loves history. So I think that's one of the reasons he was drawn to this property. Rutherford's such a special area too. And as an extra added note to this, we are across the street from what is now the more modern day post office, which is not a whole lot bigger than the original one. Correct. Yeah, which is pretty <laughs> cool. But I want to talk about you and your history as a winemaker. It's just such a typical question. I'm sure you've only been asked about 700,000 times is uh, how did wine get its hooks in you? Well, first food got its hooks in me. Um, I worked in restaurants and I really loved both the, the, the culture of being in a restaurant, the family. Um, I appreciated the fast pace, but I really loved food and I was very interested in food science and I had some incredible chefs that I worked for. They encouraged me to learn more about wine. I didn't think that I would pursue wine per se. I really enjoyed actually cooking in kitchens. I also really appreciated hospitality. Um, there's something really special to be able to, to serve someone and see them enjoy something. I think it's something that we take for granted because we go out to eat and it becomes more of a transaction. Um, but when you are really having a great meal at a restaurant and the service is impeccable and the people are friendly, you feel like you've come to a family table. And I just loved that. So I was living in New Orleans and I had um, some very supportive ownership and they said, you should really learn more about wine. Why don't you go out to Napa Valley and uh, work a harvest? <laughs> and so I did. Great idea. Mm-hmm. Where did you go from there? I mean, working at Harvest can kind of infect you a little bit with the idea of, wow, this is something. Yes. But, yes. but not everybody goes beyond that. That's true. I had every intention of coming home, um, but a couple of, of things all happened at once. One, I was working for an extraordinary winemaker, Abe Scherner, and he was working on a very small project that became a very big project kind of overnight and he brought me in as his first intern and he really treated me as a collaborator. Hmm. Um, 
he was a professor before he went into winemaking, and he actually came out to Napa Valley on sabbatical and stayed. <laughs> so he had a real um, sense of the uh, the relationship that the mentor and has to have with their student, and so he didn't he didn't keep me out of any part of the business or the winery or the wine growing. I also was making his wine at White Rock Vineyards, and I met my now husband, Christopher Van Dendriesch. So that was pretty special. And um, I left about two weeks before Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. So I had a reason to stay here longer than expected. And it it was really great. Everyone in the community really was wonderful and supportive. They kept me very busy, which was important for me to, um, you know, I was emotionally a little rocked. I was separated from my family and my friends and we didn't really know what the city was gonna be like. So I did spend some time going back and forth for the first two years, um, 2005 to 2007, and Abe kept me on as uh, a collaborator in in that time and, from there, it just evolved. Um, I then went to go work for a, a really special woman, Debbie Ziegelbaum, at Robert Sinsky Vineyards. And she taught me so much about the vineyard side of life and um, a really, really special person, a dynamic, smart, hilarious woman who was really, really owning it on the vineyard side. And um, I think that's really important to acknowledge that while we're seeing more women in the wineries, um, you don't see as many women on the vineyard side, either working in the vineyards, managing vineyard crews. So she really removed a lot of barriers and and showed me um, how important it was to be collaborative. And um, so, that was really special uh, mentorship there too. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. For me personally, as a wine lover, I'm fascinated by the vineyards. I'm fascinated to think about a winemaker walking the vineyards, uh, the feel you get. What is that for you? And I'm sure that's different every time of the year. Well, I can go back to my very first pick in the vineyard. Um, Christopher and I were at this at this point. He was also making wine for Hudson Napa Valley and. He was living out at, at uh, Lee Hudson's property, and uh, they were gearing up for their first pick of the year, and of course, it's a night pick. And so we walked from the house down into the, the vineyard block that was pretty close to, to where Christopher was living, and these big booms roll in on tractors, and it goes from being just pitch black, and you can see stars in the sky, to these lights coming through. And the way the lights illuminate the green foliage at night is really dramatic. I mean, it's 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 cinematic, and it goes from being very quiet to these cars pull in, and all of these workers file out, and they just start picking and it happens so quickly and the energy behind it the the joy the anticipation that was a really special moment i mean i i grew up in an agricultural area but harvest didn't look like that it didn't happen all at once it wasn't this mad dash but it was an incredible amount of of energy and joy and that was infectious for sure 
Now, when I came out here, I thought I would be the one picking grapes. I had no idea the amount of labor involved. And I have picked grapes myself for some small vineyard projects that Abe and I were working on. Um, and you just get an appreciation for just how how hard it is. Um, and it's often really cold those nights when you're picking grapes and you leave sticky and exhausted, but you know that's just the beginning. That's really well put. It is, it is, you know, they talk about in food, uh, farm to table, it's, it's the same thing, it's farm to bottle. Yes. Sort of thing. It is. I love seeing the look on your face when you talk about that. I, I see that in a lot of winemakers' faces because I, I've never believed for one minute you choose wine, it chooses you. It's true. It's true. It does. Um, now, I love to drink wine. There's no question that that's an important part of it, but it is the process. It's a craft. The combination of, of science and art, I'm, I'm sure other winemakers uh, wax poetic about that. All I can say is it was important for me personally to see that um, you could have a job that was something you really loved to do. I, I, it's not that I didn't meet people in my life that were passionate about their careers, but this was something really special. Um, everyone standing around me that night, that first pick out at Hudson Vineyards, um, they were all so excited. There was just this, um, even after this was, you know, they were many harvests into it. Um, sure. You could just, you could see that there was um, a sense of something that was, that you knew, you, you, the growing season was there, the grapes were there, but it was still always going to be a little bit different every vintage. So that kind of um, excitement that you will have to bring craft to something is, uh, I think it gives people joy. And I'm, I'm sure you've met a lot of, of craft people, craftsmen, um, uh, people who do things with their hands. It's a special kind of calling. So um, it's not so much the wine making specifically but the whole process that i find just incredibly fascinating sure uh i think even just the idea of letting your hands get purple is a little bit of a badge of honor who doesn't love that i mean it's great and people come to napa valley and they they ask when can i stomp the grass <laughs> i mean it's it's true it's it's fun and and i love doing it i mean i love do you getting... actually do it once oh more? sure really? oh funny yes <laughs> And I, and our now 14-year-old, he's going to be 14 in a few days. He he does it with us. It's 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 a family affair. It's it's really fun. <laughs> well, and the, the family affair is an interesting thing be, between you and Christopher. I'm sure uh, there's got to be a lot of interesting conversation, comparing notes. And you're already smiling when I say that. And and different styles. I'm sure you have your own style versus what Christopher does. Yes, I do. Um, but again, along the way, he was an important mentor. Mm. Christopher has a formal education in winemaking. I don't. Um, he has made wine in many different countries. I have not. So he has um, a, a breadth and depth to his knowledge on baking wine that is really interesting for me to tap into. There's a flip side to that, though, right? <laughs> Which. Yeah. I think you can, um, that when you have, when you're an artist, when you have craft, you can, you can get very comfortable. You, you kind of, you, you know what to do. You have your methods. You, um, 
you kind of can you can work in a vacuum if you're not careful and so I can see that my energy and my questions, especially early on in our relationship, um, made him see things in a new way from Hmm. fresh eyes too. And one of the most gratifying parts of this job for me has been being a mentor to other people. I love that part of the relationship. I I think it's really special to to take someone who is... um, new in the business, new to winemaking, maybe new to wine, and really let them ask questions. And it's great when I can answer them. And it's even more fun when I say, I don't know, but we're going to find out together. So I really appreciate that, that part of the learning process. It's, it never ends. So I believe that Christopher, um, he learns from me too. Sure. And that's fair. And and I, I commend you for being so very frank about that, because some people can be a little protective about their knowledge. And as we know, winemakers are all doing the same thing when you get right down to it. As I mentioned before, I belonged to the Elizabeth Spencer Wine Club many years ago, and uh, I loved the wines. But one of my favorite things about the wines is that they were coming from so many different areas and so many different types of wines. Now, I'm assuming Elizabeth Spencer at this time does not own any vineyards, or have you purchased vineyards since, or...? Elizabeth Spencer Winery has never owned any vineyards. We have worked with some growers since since the very beginning. Um, Of course, I mentioned that Elizabeth and Spencer both came out of the food industry. Spencer owned um, a a wine import and distribution business in Virginia, and Elizabeth was working in marketing out here in Napa Valley. So they got to know a lot of really interesting, talented people along the way. And in the spirit of that learning, that's how they learned to do wine blending. Uh, So they made a lot of very good relationships back then with some some really incredible vineyard locations. Now that we are part of the Boisset collection, there are vineyards owned by the company, and I will be lucky enough to work with some of them. But Elizabeth Spencer Winery was, though Rutherford-focused, I think that's one of the great things that we can offer our customers, wines from other places. So... um, we get to work with Mendocino and the North Coast, uh, Lake County, Sonoma, and, you know, who knows? I could be working with fruit from the Sierra Foothills. So we, we can bring a lot of variety to the program. But I got to believe for you, as a single individual person that does not have a rocket attached to your back, getting to these vineyards uh, has got to be a bit of a challenge to watch these grapes grow, especially Mendocino is not exactly in your backyard, and neither is Lake County. I put a lot of miles on my car. I bet you do. <laughs> Yeah, I do. Uh, Fortunately, we've got a team of really talented winemakers and viticulturists. So now I have a a kind of a brain trust to tap into where we can divide some of that work. But I love the vineyard side of things. I begin the winemaking by walking through the vine rows. I wouldn't give that part up. And certainly I, I feel very fortunate that that's still something that I can do. I think it's nice, though, too, as you've already mentioned, to have Jean-Charles behind you with these additional vineyards. Um, okay, I'm like a kid in a, in a candy store here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work at Stagecoach Vineyards. Um, doing estate winemaking is incredible. You you have you know full ownership of what you're doing. You can really... Um, 
you have a sense of 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 a place and you know uh you have a, a more attachment to the wines because you work with those same vineyards year in and year out as they, you know, are newly planted or as they age. That's wonderful. But there is something really special about being able to look at a map and say, I want to I wanna try that vineyard. Yeah. I would like to get fruit from there. And being able to have the resources to do that is really cool. And Jean-Charles has. He's given me the map and he said, where do you want fruit from? <laughs> I can't even So imagine. it is. It does feel like a kid in a candy store. And I was, again, um, working with Abe for the Scolium project. He did not own any vineyards. And I learned early that you could, uh, you would have to travel far to find those really special sure. spots. Some of them were off the beaten path. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a real thrill, uh, and, and as a wine drinker for me, it's a thrill to be able to try wines from so many different areas under one name. It's pretty yeah. cool. Well, we've come to the point in the interview where I'm going to ask you the question that I regard as my favorite question, and you can certainly take a moment to think about it. Um, I am sure you've done plenty of media over the years, and you've been interviewed, and you get questions from people in the tasting room. So what would be the one question that you've never been asked that you would like to be asked? <laughs> this is PG? No. <laughs> then my answer is yes, <laughs> I have. <laughs> no. um, well, I, let me see. I have, I have never been asked if I've been naked in a vat of grapes. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> <sighs> should I ask you how that ended up or should we just let that go? We'll just let that oh, one ride. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just won the answer over 1,200 interviews for the, <laughs> the best answer for that question. Very good. I think I just got it shoved in my face, actually, on that one. <laughs> how come no one's ever asked me that question? I don't... God, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm. Most importantly for our listeners, uh, here at the Tasting Room, being that many wineries here in Napa are, are by appointment, I'm assuming you are, or can people just kind of come in from time to time? How does that work? We are always happy to host people when they come in. It's preferable to have an appointment, that way we can guarantee that we've got a seat available for you because we do get busy on weekends and holidays. Um, and of course, we're a small tasting room, so it's it's good to, to call ahead, but we're always able to welcome people if they just wanna walk on by. Sure, it's good to be prepared when you come to Nava Valley. And uh, for our listeners who'd like to learn more about you, Sarah, as well as Elizabeth Spencer, and perhaps a bit about uh, JCB, what is your website? ElizabethSpencerWinery.com. Pretty straightforward. Nice. Very nice. Thank you for this morning for being here. I appreciate it. And a real pleasure to meet you after all these years. Nice to meet you, too. Learn more by visiting ElizabethSpencerWinery.com. Thanks for listening to the longest-running wine podcast online. Subscribe to the podcast at lifebetweenthevines.com or sign up to our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Life Between the Vines comes to you from Fifth Floor Recording Company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Produced and edited by Ray Fister. Our host is Kay Paskoff. Our web geek is Dan Gieschen. Original music by Ray Fister. Copyright 2023.